Why, hello, Charlie. <laughs> you cannot leave here. How salacious. <laughs> Don't say. A girl of ten? Missing on the 43rd? How dreadful. There, there, little girl. Together we're going to take them down. All of them. And we begin today. Well, what have we here? Patience. Patience. They're all weaklings. Evil? Is this some sort of silly story to you, Brian? Evil? Really? It's business. You have what you want now. The star. Where can I find it? <laughs> oh, I crack myself up sometimes. You should have seen your face, Brian. <laughs> now, find me the girl and bring her to me. <laughs> I would not be so dismissive were I as weak and careless as you. Just a moment. I'd like to hear this proposal. Well, as you can hear for yourself, Miss Fillmore, this is certainly something that Child Protective Services should look into, which is why I called you over here personally. Reinforcements have arrived. You silly child. When will you understand that the source of power is always irrelevant? I can see you're a person that can appreciate a businessman like myself. Why, the stories this room can tell. An alliance, then. Tell me what you need me to do. Even as we waste time here, the wolf pack is on its way to where your friends are. They're after the girl. <laughs> and so what? So I'm afraid. Why shouldn't I be? My family is all gone. My wife barely speaks to me anymore. I don't have time to make friends. All I have is this job. The ancient powers shall be mine. <laughs> hey, everybody. Daniel here. Hope that all of you are doing as best as possible in these crazy times. And uh, we wish you uh, the very best as you bundle down in homes and other places. Hopefully, uh, what we're bringing to you here will bring a little bit of cheer or at least distraction from everything else that's going that's going on right now. So I know we're all impacted and affected by it and this whole coronavirus situation, um, but we certainly wish all of you the, the very best during this. It's been kind of interesting too to see our podcasting friends really uh, begin to, to reach out and work together. And um, it's interesting different collaborations that take place when people start to come together around challenges like this. And hopefully we'll see more of that to come. Uh, but our wish for you is that you stay safe and healthy. Okay, well, this episode is a follow-up to a two-part series. I think this will just be one. We'll find out as I go through and see how long I uh, chatter on here. But it's sort of putting a bow around Charlie Saves Christmas, uh, the audio story that we had. We finished up uh, more than a month ago now. And very excited to close the chapter on this, but before we did that, I wanted to take some time to say thanks to my actors and to provide to all of you a little insight into the story itself and what we were doing with the varying parts and characters in that by going kind of actor by actor through each of the varying parts. So today is Charlie's villains, uh, looking at the villain characters or the actors that are playing my villain characters throughout the story. And we have several of those. And I think 
you would agree with me that they were phenomenal and really engaging, built interesting characters. They, none of them were flat. They evoked a lot of emotion. They put a lot of emotion of, of emotion into this and uh, really was excited to see how they, they grew over time and helped me to shape the story. So as I, I want to frame, you know, why, why we're doing this, obviously there's in any good story, you're going to have this battle or tension typically between good and evil. And that's essentially what you see in the Charlie Saves Christmas story, the two sides. I, I do like to almost have a, a grayness around it because you know, when we are in the world and in our daily lives, it's rare that you come up against something that is blatantly, obviously evil. Depending on the perspective that you take, you may view it as in an entirely different way, right? Whether you're in a different country, you may view actions that uh, someone like me in the U.S. might look at and, and say, well, that's a good thing. And you would look at it and say, well, that's evil, right? So there's those things are there. And that's not to say that there isn't uh, black and white around things that are clearly evil and things that are clearly not. I think there is a dividing line there, but I think there's also a lot of, a lot of gray because we're humans that, that flow in there. And I wanted to sort of investigate the grayness and not just have all complete, you know, stark, good, bad kind of characters, but characters that blended in between there and also had characters that were, even though they were on this bad side, this villain side, that, that they even had conflict with themselves too. And so you see this, there, are, there isn't just a clear single bad guy uh, or bad character in this. There's multiples and they play off of each other in an interesting way. As I shape it though, you know, I was looking at varying types of uh, philosophy around evil, and uh, many of them, many different philosophers throughout time, from Kant to uh, to Nietzsche to you know all the way back to probably Aristotle and many Aquinas and others, right, had had varying uh, concepts or ideas and shaping how we think about evil. So there are sort of four that I uh, identified that I wanted to shape for the story here, and the first of those is the concept of intentional evil. Right, that's the that's the direct, the obvious uh, evil for its own sake, performed for the express purpose of harming others, potentially even for the enjoyment, right, of, of the experience of watching others suffer. That That's the clear, obvious, definitive, what I'm calling intentional evil. I've got eyes for all these. Uh, intentional evil. And we certainly had a character in the story that was that, and that is Mr. Kettle. Uh, we'll get, we'll get to, um, to Mike's characters that he got to play, but so that's intentional evil. That's the obvious one. I think pretty much when you show and display intentional evil, the vast majority of people are going to be very clear, right? Yes, that's obviously evil. The second of these is instrumental evil. And this gets a little more into the, the gray territory of things, uh, although I think a lot of people would still agree, right? This is evil that occurs in order to carry something out or some other purpose. It's a byproduct, let's say, of an aggressive business venture or a collective need to get things done. It's, it's, it's motivated by the concept that, you know, it's, it's just business. I, this is just how things operate. I'm doing these things because I need to accomplish this other end. And that's why I'm doing them. It's not personal. It's, you know, just business, that concept. I think we understand that piece of it, revulsive to the vast majority of us. But sometimes you may have others that sit on the same side of that or, um, or you're in you know, the business world and you get this sort of cloud over your eyes um, be 
because you're motivated to do things to support the business and don't always step back to, to look at the, the impact that you may have on others, on the environment, on, uh, on other things. And so this instrumental evil is a piece that I wanted to, to show here. Uh, the third is idealistic evil. This is a tougher one because it gets into uh, that whole belief system, right? I believe one thing, someone else believes strongly something different, and they may be very opposite of one another. And so this idealistic evil is, is the sense that I'm justified in what it is that I'm doing. And we have a very clear case of, of, of setting the idealistic evil up. And that was an important piece of the story overall. And it will be an important piece in the different stories um, moving forward. Uh, so keep your eyes out for that. The, the fourth and final one that I've identified and uh, built characters around was, this, was the idea of indifferent evil. And that, that takes, uh, it's a sort of a catch-all uh, for the follower that just uh, follows along with the, the, the leader. And, you know, the leader tells them to do stuff and they execute on, on doing that sort of thing. It, it's an, potentially the result of an erosion of just being part of a caustic culture or environment that you do things and you let them slide because you just don't care anymore, right? You're, you're indifferent. You go along with the crowd. It's the fun thing. Everybody else is doing it. That's why I should be doing it. It's that concept of the, the frog in the, in the kettle, right? And the boiling around them. They don't adjust to the, they adjust to the temperature very well and they don't realize it until it's too late uh, what they're in. Uh, and so the idea around that is a, you know, not making a choice. Is, is you're still making a choice, right? You make a choice when you decide to not make a choice too. So this might catch all, and so quite a few, a number of the characters fall into that indifferent stage. So those are the four we're going to look at: intentional evil, instrumental evil, idealistic evil, and indifferent evil. And my villains uh, capture at least one of each of those, uh, potentially more than that. And so the first one up is Mike Hatchley. And have you found the other star? Not other. What am I doing? <laughs> I'm adding words. Okay, let's try that again. Hang on a second. <laughs> Lost my place. <laughs> eh, what am I doing? Let's pause here. I think I about gagged myself. Hang on a second. <laughs> ah! Okay. Okay, one second. <sighs> Sounds a little bit more like a boar when I do it now. <laughs> Hey, what are you doing? Now? Ha ha ha. Uh, Come now. Is Brian the only man? Oh, bleh, bleh, bleh. Well, that's right. <laughs> why, why did I question myself? Okay. Mike is director, producer at uh, Dice Tower Theater. If you have not taken part in listening to the stories that he's been producing, uh, it is top-notch, top-class. Mike is phenomenal. I constantly listen and look to what he does as an example of, of how this show should evolve and the things that I can begin to experiment and work on next. I mean, he writes his own music. He is the vocal director for his cast members. Uh, he selects casts very very, very well. He writes the content of the stories that he has. He's a phenomenal mentor. And so in a lot of the lines that I would get, because uh, Jolene is part of the acting troupe over there, I would uh, hear his, his uh, direction within that. And we'll share some of those clips 
uh, I think it's really interesting to listen to such a professional at work in their environment and, and doing well. And so it's just a delight to work with Mike. <laughs> so squeal is like so what what sound would you make if you were really super excited Even more go, go for like the, the thing you know do the high pitch like squeal I, I can't even do it <laughs> I'm already pushing my vocal cords my voice not supposed to go high alright let's try again what <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That's an amazing thing to hear from you. <laughs> Daniel's getting some good stuff on this one. <laughs> okay, let's try it again. Yeah. Okay. Is it supposed to be excited? It's excited, yeah. With delight. So, you know what? Give, give a, like a, like some, some gas. More of a happy. gas than, yeah, okay. Get, then he's got something to play with. Sweet. Try that. <gasps> ah! <gasps> nice. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Mike played um, Mr. Kettle, and he played Marvelous the Tiger. And there's not a single person that listened to either of those characters and did not just love the power that he puts into it, the emotion that he puts into it. Uh, I, I really, it, it expanded my mind of what a, a voice actor could do. And I mean, he put even some foley into some of the scenes that he had as it starts to get near the end with Kettle. It just, just the, you can, the sense of, of power and energy and true experienced acting. And I just loved and couldn't wait uh, to hear what he'd bring to the table next, which line would come uh, next and listening to each of those parts and knew that I would always get um, his his very best and just phenomenal results. And so thank you, Mike, you, you're you leading the way and uh, wow, what a, what a wonderful talent to work with. And I loved absolutely every minute of it and look forward to doing a lot more work with you uh, down the road and, and in the future. And so he's got these two characters, uh, Mr. Kettle, who is intentional evil. So I, you know, we set Mr. Kettle up as this, the sleazy landlord. But more than that, and it's also instrumental evil. I think it's both of those things. But he is the clearest example of intentional evil. Now, you know, so I give that to an actor, right? And people, I think, look at at doing the evil characters and and see that as fun. But then you you dig into that and you have to embody uh, the the emotion of that. And that's got to take at least somewhat of a toll. And then to be able to continue to carry that through. And uh, he just brought to every single scene, right? By the end of this, if you are not loathing Mr. Kettle, uh, potentially, you know, jumping at hearing his voice and just cringing with those that are in the room with him. I don't know. I mean, I just, it, he just captures so much of, um, out of experiences I've had actually. So there, you know, this, this um, concept, those that you have listened or watched the movie, A Knight's Tale, and uh, you have Chaucer's character that says that I will eviscerate you in fiction. So there's a little bit of that, you know, personal experience and business that I've had in the past. Uh, I drew uh, some of this character out of that. And there's a little bit of a, a fictional evisceration that was going on with this character. Uh, Mike did such a wonderful job with Mr. Kettle. 
He is the true, big, intentional, evil, uh, bad guy in the story. Now, he's only in half of the story, right? So as, you, as you've listened uh, to the story the way I shaped it, you have the dream world or this other world, which I still haven't really defined what that is in the story, and you have the real world, and Mr. Kettle is the slumlord in the real world and, and the big bad there, but he's not the only big bad in, in this real world. Marvelous is more of the indifferent. So he is extremely powerful. He's a tiger. You can uh, could not have picked a better voice. Gonna pat myself on the back. There you go. Good job, Daniel. Uh, wow. I could I I could not have found a better tiger voice than Mike's marvelous tiger voice. It's just so wonderful. I could just listen to his growls all day long. The deep resonant tones, uh, the way that he shaped it, the time that he put into each line, just dripping with power and menace. I Just marvelous is just marvelous. <laughs> I have to bring marvelous back somehow. It was yeah, just, just absolutely wonderful. But marvelous was intended not to be the big bad. Normally, stories like this, I think Jungle Book, you've got uh, the tiger and he is largely the big bad in that story because tigers are obviously ferocious, powerful creatures and not to be trifled with, pretty much apex. And he's not apex here. You've got some birds essentially that sort of direct him around. And, and so it's more indifferent. It's not because he's not powerful enough, but that there are greater powers. And I wanted to be able to establish that in the story, that there's, there is some power at work that is more than the physical characteristics of of marvelous right and, and it's just there's more to it than this and it needed to have someone like marvelous that had the immense threat there and the immense capability but with the idea that there's more out there to listen to so the iconic scenes that i want to look at for both of these uh, for mr kettle it's it's when i have brian and jinx in the room at the same time and he is talking about how he's not going to do the deal any longer now the, uh, there's Two of the scenes in the end are also uh, incredible where the energy just rises. But this, this one in particular, the, uh, the, the joy he takes in seeing them squirm, right? It, it just This scene was really good for that. And, uh, and the marvelous scene that we'll do is, the marvelous scene that I want to do is when he is confronting uh, the wolf leader, wolf pack leader, Ferris. And so you see the quick strike energy and the potential for power that is marvelous. Although in the story, he kind of goes along with things. My, my own mother even asked at one point, why is marvelous being directed by a bird? or by two different birds. In this case, she kind of thought that was odd that a tiger would be. But again, the idea is that you have tremendous potential power, but he didn't really care enough to be the big bad, even though he probably had enough power to be the big bad in this situation. And that's why I wanted to get to the, the indifferent evil. He'll do the evil things. There's no problem with that. Most of this is just kind of beneath him. And, uh, and he's got a job to do, and he wants to do that. He'll do what he needs to do to get that done. And if that means following the orders of these uh, others around him, and that leads to getting done what he wants, and so be it. And so it's, I wanted a different thing, right? You didn't want to have just all big bads. And this is the, where you get to a little bit more of the gray. So here you are, the two iconic scenes by Mike Ashley, my mentor, visionary, that uh, has helped to shape and pave the way for my entire show and step into this audio drama world, Mr. Kettle and Marvelous the Tiger. 
Well, gentlemen, the voice of Mr. Kettle filled the room as he addressed the small team that stood before him, Brian and Jonathan among them. It brings me no pleasure to let you know that I've had a fair offer proposed for this building and several other properties that I own. But the offer has provided me with some excellent insight into our operations. You see, by having leadership at each of the buildings, we're literally throwing money away. In fact, I'm quite certain that we could run this operation with a third of the staff we currently have. Mr. Kettle reveled in the sight of so many grown men and women wriggling in their seats. Another human child has arrived. Shall I collect this one as well? After a moment, the huge form of a white tiger padded soundlessly into the open space. I have something for one of you called Ferris. It comes from the bird. I would not be so dismissive were I as weak and careless as you. Should I find that you have information about the star that I seek and are withholding it? Well, that would be a very bad day for you. Very bad indeed. Ah, yes. The <laughs> Ah. <laughs> siren well turn the corner <sighs> chapter three now now mm, hang on let me find him <laughs> okay <laughs> I hope that meets your needs <laughs> oh, does that kill her? Okay. Next up, Carrie Coelho. So, Carrie is a professional narrator. That is beyond doubt. She is extremely talented, as you note in her playing of Millicent and uh, Ferris. So, two of my other big bads. Carrie Coelho is the narrator for Elderberry Tales, so a children's um, storytelling podcast. It's been around for a long time. It's been highly rated and ranked for a long time on, uh, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, a number of the other channels as well. Uh, her dad actually is a story writer. I'm pretty sure she's a story writer. She almost has to be. Um, she is so professional. And it's, 
be joy to listen to as well. So her lines were the cleanest, uh, the clearest, the most options in terms of different ways to phrase things. She'd have this clear click in between each of the stanzas. Like if there was a way to shape how you would want the voice actor to live to deliver lines in terms of cleanness and quality, Carrie was, yeah, I mean, I, I was amazed. I kind of shocked actually. I've never delivered anything. It upped my game when I deliver things to others. I'm still nowhere near as, as good as what Carrie delivered. And interacting ability is just fantastic. If you listen to her narrate, so it's nothing like what Millicent the story is, or her ability to get into these cartoonish characters, which she wanted to play, it was just fantastic. I just love uh, this this blue, great blue heron, right? That's my big bat. I didn't, I, went, I didn't have the tiger as the big bat. I had this bird as a big bat. Well, how do you make a bird as a big bat. Well, you definitely endow the bird with some powers, but the bird has to be kind of creepy, but it has to be believable too. And she took Millicent, it just, just wonderful, just over the top. It was exactly what I wanted Millicent to be. And Millicent is, so Millicent is the sister to Adeline. They are, they are sisters in the story and they have a scene together where you, this, this is actually brought to life. Millicent is the, Millicent is the idealistic evil. So she fully believes that what she is doing is the right thing to do. And, and I wanted that. It's kind of clear that how she's going about doing it is not the right thing to be doing. But there is this concept that you start to learn that Adeline and Millicent were the two figureheads that were left after a horrific war and the growing threat of this blight that's destroying their world. And they both have different views about how they need to approach solving, well, picking the pieces up after this war that we, we haven't heard about in the stories, but picking the pieces up after this and, and then leading forward. And they both have strikingly different views of that. Millicent is, uh, is more of the progressive view. She is looking at this never happening again and does not believe that what they have done in the past is sufficient to support and to defend the woodlings going forward. And she is willing to do anything in order to, to help them survive, even if that means transforming them uh, completely by grabbing on to these other powers. And so Millicent, you can, you know, she's evil. That's, that's for sure. Uh, but there's, there's, there's a whole lot more to Millicent. And I just love the way that, that Carrie played uh, Millicent. And, and her portrayal of Millicent, too, let me really craft it. it, it I wanted this precise, that when I, the, the, the only direction really I gave to her was that I wanted, I wanted Millicent to be uh, seen as this very careful, very precise, very intellectual, very thoughtful evil and that's to place that in the idealistic because you don't want just someone who has uh, this uh, this brand or this concept that they're chasing this idea that they're championing championing and, and doing it because they're just they're just dumb she's really smart she's highly intelligent she's doing this she knows exactly what she's doing and she knows why she's doing it and that really carries through but there's no no fear in her eyes. And she's in fact sorry of what happens to Adeline. But she goes about and, and does the work that she needs to anyway. Ferris is totally different. Ferris is uh, the indifferent but somewhat intentional, the sleazy um, follower, you might say, to Millicent. He sees that, uh, that he needs as a wolf to, to, to land on the side of whatever power is going to give, give him more power. 
And so that's exactly what Ferris ends up doing and and fairly evil in doing that, but not not nearly out of strength, uh, certainly not as, as strong as Marvelous's character was. What I wanted out of Ferris was to have a little bit of humor in the character. He wanted them to be that bad, uh, slightly clumsy character that, that, that you see in a lot of different uh, films and shows. It's the evil bad guy. It's the stormtrooper, essentially, that, that um, you know, can get the upper hand for a period of time, but ultimately is going to, is going to fail. And, and so I needed to set a little bit of that up because it gives me the henchmen that can go out and, uh, and make attacks, uh, varying attacks, and be the, the arm of, of Millicent, be the, the right-hand arm, essentially, um, but, but not be nearly as strong, which then shows you how strong and powerful Millicent truly is. So you, you, it's, uh, it's almost a comparison piece that I had going there. And so she, she voices both of these parts there. Obviously, they're working together. And so placing these two characters together was a bit of a risk, I think. But her, her, her vocal abilities just are absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Carrie's a, a great actress, a great actor, and a great voice actor. I really enjoyed what she brought to it. And she's going to play some other characters. What I found is that I, I could pretty much ask her to just hand off whatever I wanted to to her. And I know it'd come back and it'd be fantastic. And uh, really, with all of my actors, but with Carrie especially, it, it's just, you know, when you have a professional, I imagine when, you know, top actors get brought into a movie, you just the, the director probably just hands in the part and says, do your thing. I'll not say anything. <laughs> and we'll just cut you in here in editing and it's going to be wonderful. Uh, you know, and that's, that's the experience I have with Carrie. Just absolutely wonderful. So the, the, the iconic scenes uh, that I want for her is, uh, is Ferris and some of his, uh, some of his attacking that he's got going and uh, to show the sort of the slimy side of Ferris. Several scenes, I think there were similarities in that one. But for Millicent, I want to bring up the dialogue that she has with Adeline. I wrote this, wrote this for both of my actors uh, specifically for them because I, the initial story didn't bring out the sister characteristic. And this is, this is a really critical piece. Again, Mom reading the story was um, noted as well that, that this, the concepts of, of good and evil show up right here. And in this scene between Millicent and Adeline is the point where you finally figure things out of where, what side uh, you, should, you should probably stand on. This scene with Millicent with Adeline is, is really where rubber meets the road, so to speak, on our understanding of what evil is in this world and what's really going on. And the differentiator between both of these different sides that you have, and then a clear decision point that's made by, by Millicent that she's moving forward uh, no matter what and at all costs because she believes she's doing the right thing. So um, really interesting scene that uh, I enjoyed and we wound up writing for, for her and for, uh, and for Adeline's uh, character after the, after the fact as a, as a bridge piece to help make more sense out of the story. So here you go. Carrie Coelho as Millicent and Ferris. Yet... You knew better, didn't you? I could never convince you of what I saw, but you were attracted to it. It's a shame that you could not shed the old ways and embrace the change that must come. 
Change is the same as evil in your mind, Adeline. The Great Fire saved the forest. The drought created new habitats that were better suited for some. The old ways were always meant to give way to the new. But for now, Adeline, you must get out of my way. Now, now. No need to get excited, big fellow. Snarled a voice from the darkness ahead of him. <laughs> you cannot leave here. No matter where you may have come from, you do not hold the power to escape. Only the Great Master can do that. And that one has not been seen for a very, very long time. The laughter that followed was disconcerting, as was the response. Okay, as I had thought, well, I didn't think that, but I'm going to split this one in, into two episodes as well, since I apparently droned on and on, and this is uh, now in the territory of a 20-minute or so episode. And so uh, we're going to split it here, and you're going to come back and listen to us hopefully next week or the week after for the next two villain characters that we have. So hang on, stay tuned, come back, listen some more, and we look forward to seeing you in about a week or so. Take care. I can still hear Zoran ask. Dice Tower Theater's Dawn of Dragons, a unique narrated audio drama based around a basement tabletop role-playing game. Six children grow up in the dawning epicenter of a new war. Two brothers, Benedict the pious and careful, and Zane the carefree, are joined by their younger cousin, Cordelia, the blacksmith and seamstress's daughter. Their friends, Zoran, the son of the local justice, and Sophie, the abandoned sister of a young and beautiful sword for hire, accompany them on this journey. Sword sorcery and adventure await to engage the listener along the way in our 20 minutes or less episodes. We hope you enjoy Dice Tower Theater's Dawn of Dragons, a proud member of the family-friendly Patagon Go Network. Welcome to Elderberry Tales. Grab your favorite pillow and a curious heart. It's time for a story. Elderberry Tales is a storytelling podcast featuring inspiring and engaging stories for kids. Ancient wisdom, timeless tales, and contemporary heroes. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and listen on your favorite podcast player. Welcome, both of you. You are the final two to arrive. I won't be gone long, and Aunt Nani needs your help. Promise me you'll be helpful. Hello? Is anyone there? <laughs> Screechers? The family reputation is at stake, son. The visual arts may lack relevance. Wait, what is that? Governor's School for the Arts at Walnut Grove. The Happy Go Lucky Podcast 
producers of Charlie Saves Christmas, bring you our next heartwarming adventure, Cassie and the Spectral Shade. Don't you remember what it was like to be 17? It turns out you're quite pretty, and it wouldn't hurt for people to see me walking in with you. Good for you, Judy. Cut, cut, that was ghastly, dreadful. I want you to go through it again. This time, make me feel something. You'd think that if I could dream the same thing over and over, that eventually I'd figure out how to control it better than this. Seeing every moment, keeping them like diamonds locked away with Sorry about that, but you'll find that Walgrove has a thing for dreadful terms. And warm, lone traveler. Come, rest that I your wounds may bind. If my reputation is based on the company I keep, I suppose I'm better off heading in on my own. Please join your fellow first years in the Great Hall, where the staff and faculty have prepared a lovely reception for you. You can call me Cassie. Cassie Cole. Sorry I didn't mention it earlier.